Hello and welcome to Room 106. I'm John Gagan from Planning Magazine. Every week, we enter Room 106, the intimidating cavern into which all new planning information is deposited and extract the key things you need to know. In this bonus edition, we'll be discussing the changes in the revised National Planning Policy Framework that relate to meeting housing need and housing land supply targets. But before I cross the threshold, my colleague, Alex King, is going to tell us about the key news stories from the past seven days. Hello, Alex. Hello, John. What's been happening? So up first, the government has said that it will publish updated planning guidance shortly after planning lawyers highlighted uncertainty over how to interpret the revised National Planning Policy Framework's new four-year housing land supply requirement, which the government introduced in December. In other news, Housing Minister Lee Rowley has directed Mole Valley District Council in Surrey not to withdraw its local plan, just hours before it was set to debate a motion to do so, saying that the withdrawal of the plan at this very advanced stage of preparation would extend the period in which the council has had no up-to-date local plan in place. Elsewhere, the government has said that it will delay the introduction of the proposed replacement for the EU system of environmental impact assessments and strategic environmental assessments until at least 2025. Also, Housing Minister Lee Rowley has told MPs that he is absolutely certain that there will be more examples of authorities arguing that exceptional circumstances exist, which, following recent national policy changes, means they do not have to meet their local housing need in full. In a further government announcement, a Home Office Minister has said it will further strengthen licensing guidance to provide detailed advice on practical ways that local licensing and planning regimes can collaborate. Elsewhere, the government has introduced a new requirement for councils to notify the Secretary of State of planning applications that affect ancient woodlands. The updated direction, which came into force on the 26th of January, applies to all applications for planning permission relating to land in England received on or after that date. And finally... The government has announced that build-to-rent developments and purpose-built student accommodation will be included in its new building safety levy. However, developments on brownfield sites will only be subject to a 50% charge. Thanks very much for that, Alex. Lots of news to cover from the past week. And of course, more details on each of these stories can be found on planningresource.co.uk. So now's the time to enter room 106 for our deep dive. Can I persuade you to join me this week, Alex? Not this week, I'm afraid. I'm still recovering from last week's visit. Fair enough. I'll leave you here then. Well, here I am, back in room 106. I'm making my way over to the huge chamber filled with documents and comments relating to the new National Planning Policy Framework. I believe that our regular contributor, David Blackman, is in there. Oh, there he is. Hello, David. Oh, hello, John. Okay, so let's let's talk about the changes with regards to housing need first, because this is certainly one of the most controversial changes in the new framework, and it certainly dominated a lot of the the national newspaper headlines in terms of, as they described it, uh, watering down of housing targets. Of course, um, for our reason, they're not. They never were mandatory housing targets. But um, that's that's the way they were, they were always described by politicians and the national papers. So tell us how was that the, the text in the MPPF has changed with regards to local housing need. 
Yes, you're entirely right, John. This is, has been sort of the major flashpoint debating point surrounding the the NPPF over the last year and a half. There's been a lot of concern on the Tory backbenchers about the standard method and their perception that it's been a way of imposing housing targets on local authorities. Now, what this latest revision of the NPPF does is it states that the starting point is an advisory starting point for local authorities to decide the numbers when they're plan making. This doesn't actually change the wording that was in the draft NPPF last year, which is quite an important point. So the reason why it it comes across as slightly theological is that the words starting point are already in the PPG, although they weren't actually in the in the NPPF before. So I suppose that's the main change, is that it's been promoted from guidance into the NPPF. And then apart from that, the revised NPPF also gives some more explicit indication of the type of local characteristics which local authorities can use when they're seeking to justify using alternative methods of assessing housing need. An example of this would be, and in a footnote it says, this could be an area where for example, an island where there's a significant proportion of the population is elderly, as one wag suggested to me, there's probably only one place in the country that would qualify for that. That would be the Isle of Wight, which just happens to be the constituency represented by Bob Seeley, the MP who was one of the um, the driving forces behind these changes. We'll let that one hang in the air, whether that was uh, a factor or not, or wh- whether there's a link there or not. Another key change in the new document is the government drop plans in the 2022 consultation, which would have allowed councils to be able to take past over-delivery of new homes into account when assessing housing need for plan making. So those are the kind of the main changes around, around housing need. Have there been any significant changes between the final version and the consultation draft that came out last December? So there weren't changes on the advisory stand starting point. The main changes are the definitions they give of the types of local characteristics which may justify using an alternative method. And the other key change was the provisions on over-delivery, which I mentioned a couple of minutes ago. Another big change has been that the latest, the final version of the MPPF drops changes which were proposed in the consultation draft that development should be avoided, which was deemed as uncharacteristically dense for an area, and that this would have outweighed the requirement for authorities to meet housing need. Instead, it has a new paragraph called paragraph 130, which sets out that significant uplifts in average density of residential development may be inappropriate if the resulting built form would be wholly out of character with the existing area. So that's a bit of a watering down. And how significant do commentators think these changes are? I think people say that uh, even though the change from the old guidance to the new guidance on the standard method being an advisory starting point, even though Technically, it was in the old guidance. The fact that it's been promoted into the NPPF, that is seen as significant, that it gives councils more leeway to use an alternative method if they want to. So there's a lot of concern out there that this is going to tempt councils into into seeking the use of alternative methods if they want to. It's also seen as fairly significant. Governments tightened the wording around the alternative methods that they can use. The steer for councils is a lot clearer now on what they can and they can't use. One of the big concerns was councils would use different demographic projections to justify their, the case for different housing numbers. That would seem to be much harder to argue on the basis of this wording 
in this latest version of the NPPF. And of course, there's also the issue that, that the past over delivery can't be taken into account. That's also sort of quite a big change as well. I know you spoke to quite a few experts about this. Did they flag up any likely implications for councils, particularly for plan making? The main implication seems to be that it's going to be much harder for councils to make arguments for using different methods to the standard method in the future as a result of this, or at least it's harder than it would have been with the provisions in the, in the draft NPPF. An example would be there's been a lot of pressure on councils to use different population projections as the basis for their, for their housing numbers, and that's been advanced by a lot of campaigners. And one implication of this is that, no, that councils won't be able to do that. That's interesting because it kind of, I guess, when the the draft MPPF came out and it was those announcements in December 2022, there was a sense that reactions by some councils was that, oh, this is going to make it easier for us to to not use the standard method, um, these central issue housing targets. So that, that's that's sort of that's a bit counterintuitive, isn't it? But that that's really interesting if that's if that's the case. You mentioned earlier about the move to curb suburban densification, which was um, featured in the draft, but seems to be diluted quite significantly in the final version. Were there any implications of that? Yeah, well, this is both the um, the actual wording and, the, and, and, and where it's positioned in the document. So whereas beforehand it was all bound up, this text about character was bound up with the presumption in favour of sustainable development, which triggers the tilted balance, it's been put into sort of quite a different part of the document now. So it's been taken out of that presumption territory. Another important change, which the draft didn't specify, is that this policy on character will only relate to urban areas. That wasn't specified in the draft. There was a concern that, that could be applied to rural areas as well, but the fact that it's, it's only in urban areas is, is quite important. But probably the most important implication of it is the reference to being wholly out of character with the existing area. That was described as being sort of very challenging to apply in practice and really quite a high bar to development basically because urban areas have lots of different types of development. Neighbourhoods have lots of different types of housing. So to say that something is wholly out of character is quite a high threshold to meet. For developers, is there anything that's worth highlighting in terms of how it might affect them? Another thing that sort of ought to be sort of taken into account from the point of view of councils as well is that design codes, well, this is actually for developers and for, for councils, is that design codes are... You know, if, if a council wants to say that something's, something's wholly out of character, it has to be able to evidence that. And one of the things that it, that it will have to evidence that is through the use of design codes. So this is another thing. It really emphasises the importance of design codes. All right, David, thank you for that. So we're going to move on now to housing land supply. So firstly, how exactly has the, uh, the text changed? Well, I mean, the really important thing is that those councils which are able to demonstrate a five-year land supply at the point when their local plan is adopted, they've been freed from the, uh, the so-called presumption in favour of sustainable development, which we were talking about a few minutes ago. So beforehand, it was, a, as planners will well know, for the last 10 years or so since the introduction of, of the NPPF, if you haven't been able to demonstrate a five-year land supply, you, you're open to speculative development. And the clock's been ticking from any point from when the from when the local plan has been adopted. Now, what this is saying is that at the point when your local plan is adopted, you're basically free of that test for a five-year period. So, you know, council's got a five-year grace. And they also say that councils which with emerging plans, which have reached the so-called regulation or regulate 
or 18 or 19 stage, that would mean they'd have a policy map or something like that specifying, proposing where allocations are going to go. So these are councils which haven't had a plan adopted yet, but which yet are maybe only at sort of um, you know, going towards an, exam- an examination. They'll be free of the same presumption if they have a four-year hand- housing land supply. So you know, we're talking about a quite significant number of local authorities, which are now no longer going to be subject to the, to the presumption. As I understand it, this change has been carried through from the consultation pretty much as was, right? That's correct, yeah. And do we know how many councils will now be removed from the housing land supply requirement? I think planning's own research has indicated that uh, around 93 English councils, um, of course this only applies to England, which is equivalent to more than 40% of the country's local planning authorities, will now be exempt from the need to maintain a five-year land supply because they have a five-year supply of land at the time when, they're, when, when their plan's adopted. And this includes 19 councils which were previously unable to, to meet this bar. I've read that the figure, which will only have to demonstrate a four-year supply, is around 40 councils. So we're talking about a pretty significant proportion of English local authorities will now be exempt from the presumption. Yeah, so I mean, these changes, are, I mean, they sound pretty seismic given what an important part the the five-year housing land supply rule has played in planning decisions in the past 12 years. Okay, so what do commentators think are the likely implications of this for councils, particularly for plan making? The glass uh, half-full view would be that um, the government's intention is that this will provide an incentive for local authorities to get plans adopted because then they'll have the protection from the speculative development that the presumption opens them up to so people feel that there is there's a good incentive and they hope that the councils will now come forward with plans of course that doesn't necessarily mean that councils will necessarily do that but um, the hope is that we'll see less of a system of planning by appeal and also another another potential advantage of this is that it could free up resources for um, councils to be able to plow resources into plan making that they would have otherwise been having to sort of spend on what seems a pretty time-consuming process of updating their land supply, registers, fighting appeals, all that kind of thing. Another point to mention is that this kicks in immediately for a lot of local authorities as well. So a lot of local authorities will already be benefiting from the protection which they've had. Okay, and finally, how about developers? How is this um, likely to affect them? What it could mean is that uh, developers who have played the game, who've got their allocations in local plans, they will actually benefit because they'll no longer be at risk of being outcompeted by people who are putting in speculative developments. So from some developers' point of view, if they've got a, an allocation banked in a local plan, it could be good news. On the other hand, what this does mean is that it's going to be far more difficult to um, potentially there could be an effect on delivery because you know what happens if the actual delivery of housing from a local plan goes a lot slower than anticipated and that those sites which are put forward in the local plan don't come forward at the pace anticipated. So we could see you know, fairly significant implications in terms of delivery further down the line. And probably another point as well is that um, this is going to put a lot more onus on sites being deliverable when local plans are being put forward. So that perhaps you know, where if, if there's been a temptation to sign off on a plan as sound on the part of an inspector, everybody's going to have to scrutinise a lot more closely whether that plan is truly deliverable. 
And I understand some developers have been quite concerned about these, this four-year supply rule for plans that are kind of adv- aren't, aren't adopted but are quite advanced. Yeah. And there, again, the concern would be that um, an emerging plan is essentially still a, a set of proposals. It hasn't been tested. It hasn't gone through the rigour of an examination. So really, to give that kind of a protection to a plan which, which hasn't gone through that process is concerning for those developers and also potentially for future housing supply. Well, it'll be interesting to see how um, how developers react. I know we, we covered a story last week about a developer withdrawing an appeal at very short notice in central Bedfordshire because of the changes around the housing land supply rules that meant that the local authority has now got a five-year supply so that the sort of developer's case fell apart. Yes. I came across people who were talking about this who were saying that um, applications which had been previously premised on the council being unable to meet a five-year land supply, they were now having to rethink that because now the council would only have to come up with a four-year land supply. So as a result, those developers are having to rethink the whole base of their applications or their appeals. Well, David, thank you so much. That's a really great summary of both the changes and how they might affect planners and those using the planning system. I'm afraid I'm going to have to leave you now in Room 106 to get stuck into the new MPPF as I um, try to find my way out. Very nice to see you. Thank you. That's another visit to Room 106 wrapped up. We'll be back next week, as usual, to take a closer look at the biggest planning news. In the meantime... Don't forget to subscribe wherever you normally get your podcasts and to get a daily bulletin of planning news plus weekly analysis and specialist bulletins, subscribe at planningresource.co.uk. If you haven't already, don't forget to enter the planning awards to give yourself and your team the opportunity to get the recognition that their work deserves. The deadline is the 29th of February. Our thanks to producer Inga Marsden from Haymarket Business Media and Daisy Chaku from Rethink. And thanks again for listening. See you next week.